Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning, everyone. We are embarking upon a book called Fear. And of course, uh, I will say more than that about the book. Uh, it has a much more reassuring subtitle to it. Uh, so it's by Thich Nhat Hanh, the monk, and the subtitle is Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. If you are like me, it feels like it's pretty stormy right now. Between shootings, between uh, distress, between racial tension, between all of the things going on in the world right now, I would guess anyone here who said there wasn't some fear up for them would just either be in denial or lying. And as I review some of the terrible things that have happened just in the last couple weeks, I got to tell you, uh, the pit of my stomach is giving me the alarm bells of fear. So... This month, we're going to do a couple things about that. First of all, and, and Thich Nhat Hanh agrees with this, uh, there is a part of this overcoming fear or, or uh, dissipation of fear that we do individually, and I'm going to be spending most of my time talking about that. But he also said that some of it we need to do as groups, that, that part of the, the nature of fear itself is that we come together both in consolation and prayer, that we, we come together not just as individuals, but as part of the greater human race to acknowledge those ties, to acknowledge those samenesses. And so uh, in your program today is, is an invitation to a group activity, our prayer vigil tonight. And, and if you are, are at all feeling called to be here, uh, if there is that little bit of fear uh, up in you about what's going on in the country right now, what's going on in your neighborhood, um, please do join us. I, I certainly would invite you. We're going to be um, singing some simple chants. I have a, a reading from uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, it'll be a time, uh, you, you can get an individualized prayer if you wish, but, but anyway, if you're up for that, please join us. And, and I would even say, and this sounds a little like, um, uh, Reverend Sharon when she also says, and if you're feeling like avoiding it, <laughs> maybe you should also come. If, if this is, uh, uh, bringing up your avoidance factor, like I, I'm really uneasy talking about racial issues. I'm really uncomfortable with the, the pro-gun, you know, versus, you know, if that also is you, um, I would invite you. This is a safe place. Um, we love you, and nothing will happen in our prayer vigil tonight that isn't based in, in love and safety. So, so if either of those cases call to you, please join us tonight. But Tignan also says there is healing that needs to be done on an individual basis, and that's what I want to talk about today. And I have a couple stories. You know, I love to start out with a joke, and I, as I was uh, uh, compiling the joke this time, I realized this isn't actually that much of a joke, though you may laugh. So, so we'll see where that goes. So on a weekend trip to Atlantic City, a woman won a bucket full of quarters at the slot machine. She was going to meet her husband in the restaurant before dinner, but first she wanted to stash the quarters safely in her room. She carried the coin-laden bucket to the elevator, noticed two men already in the elevator. The two men were black. The woman froze. Her first thought was, these two are going to rob me. And her next thought was, what an idiot I am, and worse, a racist. 
They look like perfectly normal gentlemen. But racial insecurity can be powerful, and fear immobilized the woman. She stood, she stared at the two men, then she felt anxious, flustered, and ashamed, so she averted her eyes, staring strictly ahead, waiting for the doors to close. A second passed, and then another second, finally another second, her fear increased. What's going to happen? The elevator isn't moving. Panic consumed her. And one of the men said, hit the floor. Instinct told her, do what they say. So she dropped her quarters immediately flat on the floor in panic. Just take my money and spare me, she moaned. More seconds passed. Finally, she heard one of the men say politely, ma'am, if you'll just tell us what floor you're going to, we'll push the button. One of the gentlemen reached down to help her up, helped her collect her quarters. Confused, she struggled to her feet. When I told my friend here to hit the floor, I meant that he should hit the elevator button for our floor. I didn't mean that you should hit the floor, ma'am. She was confused, still unsteady on her feet, and the gentleman walked her back to her hotel room. The woman brushed herself off. She pulled herself together and went downstairs for dinner. The next morning, flowers were delivered to her room, a dozen roses. The card said, thank you for being human. Thank you for the best laugh we've had in many years. (laughs) Signed, Eddie Murphy. (laughs) A few of you have heard that one before. So the next one, a little more somber. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh's book on fear. He says, one day during the Vietnam War, I was sitting in a vacant airfield in the highlands of Vietnam. I was waiting for a plane to go north to study a flooding situation and to help the relief effort for flood victims. The situation was urgent, and so I had to go in a military plane that was usually reserved to transport such things as blankets, clothing, and medical supplies. I was sitting alone in the airfield, waiting for the next plane, when an American officer came up to me. He was waiting for the same plane. It was during the war, and of course there were only two of us at the airfield at the time. I looked at him, and I saw that he was young. Immediately, I had a lot of compassion for him. Why does this poor fellow have to come and kill and be killed so far away from his home? So out of compassion, I said, you must be very afraid of the Viet Cong. The Viet Cong were the Vietnamese communist guerrillas. Unfortunately, at that time in my career, I was not very skillful in my language. And what I said watered the seed of fear in him. He immediately clutched his gun, trembled, and asked me, Are you a Viet Cong? Before coming to Vietnam, U.S. Army officers had learned that everyone in Vietnam might be Viet Cong. Men, women, and children were all trained in the war effort. I knew I had to be very calm. I practiced breathing in and breathing out for more than a minute before I answered. And then I said, no, I'm waiting for my plane to go to Da Nang to study the flooding and to see how I can help. If I had acted out of fear in that moment, he would have shot me. Fear is something 
that we actually have very little control of. And, and in fact, the brain scientists of the world would say that trying to control fear in terms of trying to have it just dissipate or go away, it's impossible. It, it, it's, a, it's seated in our brain at a lower, more primal level than our thinking processes. So, so by the time we might think I'm not, well, like the woman on the, on the elevator, even though consciously she's thinking, these, like these guys are in business suits, right? They're, they're not posing a threat. They're just two men on the elevator. Nonetheless, on a more instinctual level, there was something in her that felt that panic even though her reasoning self was like there's nothing that I should be afraid of. And in fact, it brought up equal feelings of shame that she felt that way, right? Well, Thich Nhat Hanh says, and I believe it's true, that this level of fear comes at us from a place that there's little to be done to prevent it from happening. It will simply affect us. And in fact, he goes back to the idea of primal fear or, or birth fear. You know, all of us, uh, uh, well, it was interesting that in, in the book he talks about the baby's castle in, the, in the Southeast Asia and in China. The womb is called the baby's castle, which I think is, a, is kind of a lovely metaphor. And so the, the, the young king or queen in the castle, right? All of her, his needs completely taken care of. Nothing, nothing that the baby, the unborn baby, needs to know, right? Doesn't even have to breathe. The oxygen, food, everything coming in from the umbilical cord, right? It's, it's warm, it's soft. They're never far from love, right? I mean, the love is built in. It's like a bodily sensation and function. Then... There's birth. Suddenly the baby has to work to survive. Suddenly even breathing is something that a newborn has to consciously expel the liquid in their lungs and begin taking those first difficult breaths. And, and as for food, uh, here's an infant who has never experienced hunger before. It comes as pain. It comes as needing something that needs to be provided. And, and although we as parents and family react to an infant's needs as best we can, right? There will always be moments when a baby cries for a minute or two before we figure out, well, is it changing? Is it, is it the bottle, right? We're human. We don't know the, the language other than something needs to be done. And so a baby will always have time when it feels like it's going to die, when it injures itself and cries a little bit and mom isn't around or dad isn't there to comfort it, we don't know any better. We think we might die. When we go hungry inadvertently because we think it's changing and not time for food or whatever it is and, and we go unsatisfied for some period of time, the body is telling the infant, unless something happens soon, you will die. That's why the screaming, that's why the, uh, I mean, have, have you heard a baby? Don't they sound like they're about ready to die sometimes? It's because that's what they're feeling. They have no knowledge and no, no trust initially in the universe. And, and guess where that trust, of course, initially gets paced? Well, the parents, of course. That's why uh, oftentimes just seeing the mom. Have you ever seen a, a little one separated from mom? Just like, in, in fact, it's happened here before where mom is visiting with someone and the, the baby for a while or the toddler is just kind of wandering around having a great time. And suddenly it's like, <gasps> where is she? 
oh my gosh. And suddenly the, you know, suddenly it's like, who's killing the child? <laughs> it's that sense of abandonment. And to the baby, to the toddler, it feels like impending death. Now those experiences, of course, we add logic onto them. As we get older, we recognize that not just our parents, but other people will help us out in the world. We, we begin to realize when we're in our uh, school years that the teachers can be trusted and that society in general uh, forms a safety net for us. We, we no longer uh, have to be, well, well again though, remember uh, for those of you who are parents, remember the first time you dropped off the child at kindergarten or, right? It's, you know, they're going to be there for two hours and you would think, oh my gosh, World War II just erupted, right? Again, it feeds into that primal fear of abandonment and potential death. So even as adults, do not be surprised if something that you can't even put your finger on rationally will make you feel like you're going to die. Losing a job, for instance, right? We're, we're all adults. Uh, in fact, a, a friend of mine, I remember during the, uh, the last recession, went through about three jobs in like three years. And, uh, and I remember mentally he was, well, I was looking for work when I got this job, so it's no big deal. And inside, complete panic. Back to those primal fears of will I literally survive? Will I be able to feed my family? Will I have shelter? And so it's not surprising, the elevator story, for, for example, it's not surprising that we have some of those fears. People who are different than us from a baby's perspective are non-family. There's family that protects you and nurtures, nurtures you, and there's non-family, and they represent the enemy. And so from a very early age, I mean, I still remember the first time my nephew came to stay over at our house overnight. Oh my gosh. It was like mom never got out of the house until, until basically it was bedtime, right? And, and yet the, the nephew had been with us many times for, for many, it's that thought of abandonment. Well, this is my family, but not quite my family. And so all of the differences that the media plays up around people who have guns or people who don't have guns, people who are black or people who are white, people who are gay and people who are straight, the media in particular plays that up as the otherness, right? That we're dividing the world down, you know, well, party lines in terms of politics and ethnic lines in, in, in terms of the races, uh, uh, people who have money and people who don't. And, and they invite us to take sides. They invite us to go back to that period of our, our earliest memories on the planet and invoke the fear of something that's different from us, something that potentially might harm us. And so is there something we can do about the fear? Not in terms of preventing it. So, so don't think that you are a racist if those fears come up. Don't think that you are, a, I don't know, a terrible parent or, or whatever it might be for having that pit of the stomach feeling when you lose a job or handle a situation poorly. That we're hardwired to do. And I don't think that there's too much we can do to unhook that. Where racism comes in 
is what we do with that fear. And Thich Nhat Hanh has a couple great ideas, and I'm going to cover a couple of them today. First of all, he says, we need to examine the fear. We need to not just suppress it, not just ignore it. That's one of the reasons we're having our, uh, our prayer vigil tonight is so that we can actually talk about things. Because as we examine things, both internally and publicly, we begin to see the reality of what's going on. We begin to notice that perhaps there is police profiling. We begin to notice that other people who are different than us have a different opinion on how they're treated in the world. And so, so even though it may be painful, we need to examine it. We need to bring it up so that it can be healed. The second thing that we do with it is we try to acknowledge where it comes from. And here, uh, the book is amazing in talking about this idea of initial or primary fear from our childhood, right? So Let's say, again, we're the person that lost our job, and for some reason, even though we're well-skilled, even though we have a cushion of money in the bank, even though we have unemployment, nonetheless, that, that stark, raving, pit-of-the-stomach fear of losing the job is there. We examine that, and we think, well, where does this come from? Is this that feeling of helplessness that a baby feels? You see, it is. When you are a baby, you are completely helpless, and that's a fact. And so you begin to examine this in light of some of these early fears. Is this, is this the feeling of abandonment and I will die? Is this the feeling of not being supported when I can't provide my own support? We begin looking at that, and the next question we ask is, how real is this for me as an adult? Because sometimes fear is appropriate, right? If you're being physically or emotionally abused in a relationship, fear is a good thing. That's when you call 911. You use that fear to do something about it. But if the fear isn't in proportion to what's really going on, the real effect for you, then we're called to see it for what it is, a not very helpful lie. Then we're, then we're called to do something that will dissipate it rather than act upon it. And so in that first few moments of feeling that fear and, and recognizing and examining it, we get to make that decision. Is something to be done here? And if the answer is yes, do it quickly. You know, get help. Call the police. Do what you need to do if something needs to be remediated in the here and now that is, is fear that is real. And if it is not if you have examined that fear in your heart of hearts and you recognize there's nothing really to be done here. Where Thich Nhat Hanh says, it's time to start nurturing that child that still lives within us. It is that, that baby, it is that toddler, it is that young boy or young girl that is still feeling that separation, that's still wishing to be back in the castle in some ways, that's still, that's still wanting to feel life as being ultimately safe. And so, maybe we treat ourselves as that small child. Maybe it's time to allow ourselves to comfort ourselves. You're all right. This was a, an unfortunate thing that happened, whether it's losing a job or the ending of a relationship, but it is not the ending of my life. It is not the abandonment of all time. It is not the loss of, uh, uh, of my good in the universe. That comes from God. 
My, my faith in something larger than myself can pull me through this. But the natural place to go is that place of fear. And so it requires our conscious self to tap into that knowledge of, of those, some of those primal fears, some of those, those first encounters with separation or whatever it would be, and say, that was true of you as a baby. That was true of you as a toddler. You are whole. You're different now. You can feed yourself. You can find a place to live. There will be a next job. The universe is here to support you. Because what we know in the science of mind is if we live in that place of fear, if we allow it to ramp up, if we play into the media and think that our neighborhoods are unsafe and our, and our children are absolutely apt to be victims, when we go there, we will start seeking it out. We will start making it become true for us. We will see every evidence that exists in the entire world will suddenly personally be sitting on your shoulders, right? You'll be fearful as the kids get on the bus in the morning because you noticed an article where bus drivers don't have adequate background checks. or I mean, it'll just go on and on and on. When the seeds are planted, if you water them, there will be fruit of that. And so I'm not saying to bury our head in the stand that fear will still come up, but we treat it as an adult dealing with a child. Our adult self, our conscious self, looks at the reality of it. Do I really need to act upon this fear? And if the answer is no, we begin to dissipate it. We begin consoling ourselves. We begin treating ourselves with the love that a parent would feel for that small child. You are all right. You are powerful. You can experience joy. There will always be someone who loves you. Well, I do have a bit of homework for you today. And this may be uncomfortable. So, uh, well, let me describe it. Maybe it won't be uncomfortable at all. With the level of racial tension going on in America right now, I would like you to look into your own heart and see if you have any fears along those lines. Do you perhaps now have a fear of being pulled over by a policeman? Do you now have a fear of maybe the, the Eddie Murphy story, of being a, a, around a group of, of, of gay, uh, gay men, uh, of, <laughs> of black men? Well, and the same is true there, right, too? Just, I mean, gosh, in uh, back east just the other day, you know, someone was so afraid of that idea of homosexuality that a gunman took out a whole nightclub. So, so in your hearts with what's going on right now, I would like to, you to examine your heart for fear and follow the, the, the steps that Thich Nhat Hanh talked about. So first, you're going to examine it. What am I really feeling? Am I feeling like uh, there's gun violence in my neighborhood and my neighborhood isn't safe to be in? Am I feeling like I'm being uh, preyed upon as a class of people because I'm a woman or because I'm, I'm gay or something like that? So first of all, examine what fear you have around some of the issues going on right now. Second of all, look for the reality of it. What, what is tying in maybe to one of those primal fears, those initial fears? Could it be that this is causing you to feel 
that because people are different than you, you're in danger. Like that, that, that's where racism comes from, the feeling that, that people different than you represent a danger. And that's, that's one of those you know, baby fears. So, so take a look at it in terms of what might be causing this from, from those initial fears. And then, do I act on it or not? Is there something really that I need to do? Do I need to write my congressman about uh, gun control laws? Do I need to make my neighborhood safe by joining the neighborhood watch, right? So there may be good things from this fear that you want to take action upon. Do I need to call a women's shelter and get out of this relationship, okay? And if the answer is no, if there isn't really anything to be done, take a sigh. Just exhale and reach in to that inner child and hold them dear. Comfort yourself. Okay, so see what I mean about the homework? A little dodgy this week, but I think well worth doing. And if you feel uncomfortable with that, please come, please come to our prayer vigil tonight and we can help you through something like that. I'm going to close today with a, a quote from uh, Fear, The Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. Thich Nhat Hanh says, We are capable of great change, both internally and also in our ability to influence the world outside of us in a positive way. When we are scared, we often think we don't know what to do but we only need to practice mindfulness and understanding of our fears. Understanding, when it comes, helps us to release fear, anger, hate, and so on. Love is only born on the ground of understanding what we are afraid of. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one goodness. There is just this one thing, and we, all of us on this planet, are made up of it. And so there is only one, one human race, all connected, all uniformly part of that, that same power and presence of God. It doesn't matter our economic status, the color of our skins, our, our set of beliefs, our, our heritage, all of us equal and part of that which we call God. And on this day I claim for this congregation, I claim for everyone within the hearing of my voice, I claim for this planet the sense of freedom that comes with unity, that sure knowledge that God only makes the likeness of its own self in goodness, in joy, in peace, and love, and that we may tap into that we may rest on our faith even when the universe seems scary. That we may go within and, and check that fear out from a place of intelligence and compassion. And that each of us has the ability with equanimity to see our fellow humans. And so it is with great gratitude that I, I accept this awareness and I accept my responsibility for making this a place that works for everyone, for seeing this universe in terms of love, of equality, and joy. And so, in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 
If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.